Welcome to Myth and Monsters, episode 15. Today, we're going to talk about boo hags and a medley of ghost stories. That's right. You told me the title of yours at some point, and I was like, what is that? And I was like, you know what? Never mind. You're going to tell me all about it. So <laughs> I will. I will. But you go first. I'm very curious. Yeah. So I have six uh, ghost stories from New England. Mm. Um, and it's this cool article that I found um, while I was trying to research what I wanted to do. And I had a couple of different ideas and one of them fell through just based on the research and like that kind of thing. Um, this article I found is on New England inns and resorts, which just cracks me up because it's like, oh, come stay at our inns and also go get haunted. You know? <laughs> hey, some people want to do that. I mean, that's fair. You're one of those people, I think. I would. I would go yeah. do that. It's haunted. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. So yeah. these are just like six short little ghost stories that I found. And I think there's probably a lot more to them, like a lot more history and that kind of thing. But I was really interested in just giving an anthology kind of of these. Little okay, stories. cool. So this first one I have is a Massachusetts ghost story uh, called The Benevolent Spirit of Mrs. Woodman. So okay. in the early, yeah. So in the early 2000s, a family renovated a Victorian home in Newton, Massachusetts. And after finally moving in, it wasn't long before their five-year-old daughter named Julielle began telling them stories about her friend, Mrs. Wood- Woodman, who lived on the third floor and wore long dresses. So I feel like, you know, you always hear stories about kids like, oh, my friend Blah, who like lived here when they were alive. Yeah. So like one of those. Um she also levitated slightly off the floor. So oh, there's okay. Mrs. Woodman, you know, was a levitator, you know, I don't <laughs> casual light on her feet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the family was skeptical at first, you know, I feel like if some little kid was like, well, my imaginary friend, blah, you know, I'd obviously be like, okay, your imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but their daughter was like super insistent that Mrs. Woodman was real. Uh, So they did a little bit of research on the house and a Mr. and Mrs. Woodman lived in that home in the late 19th century. See, that's freaky because that little kid was not old enough to go and do research, you know, to find that out. So there is no way that kid would know that. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. Okay. So the Woodmans had seven children, as did Julielle's floating friend. Uh, Those details line up. Um, And all of the other details provided by Julielle about Mrs. Woodman matched public records exactly. Wow. Yeah. So although the visitations from Mrs. Woodman herself ended five years after they started, apparently they still have some issues with electrical outs. Um, You know, they still have some mischief every now and then that is a bit unexplainable that they think is caused by Mrs. Woodman. So the kid was five Yeah. So five years later, the kid was 10, which is, you know, growing up. So I wonder if that has something to do with her not being able to see Mrs. Woodman. Maybe so, because I feel like, uh, you know, it's always a thing where it's like, oh, well, if you're a kid, you can see these things. But as soon as you stop believing in them, you know, they they go away or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting that it's like it matches all the public records and everything. Uh, So this next one is called Haunted Vermont, an unrequited love at Emily's Bridge. Okay. So there is some mysterious and conflicting reports that shroud the, the uh, story of this girl's death. Her name was Emily. And it was happened at the Goldbrook covered bridge in Stowe, Vermont. I still, I feel like there are lots of haunted stories with covered bridges. Absolutely. Which I wonder, like, I wonder why. I don't know. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. So what isn't disputed, though, is that years ago, a girl named Emily lost her life at this bridge after a jilted heart drove her to suicide. Oh. Yeah. So 
You would actually want to avoid this bridge now though. So like if you're looking to go and find a haunted area to kind of be like, oh, cool. Like it's haunted. I want to see what I experience. Uh, it's probably not a good idea because there have been many reports of unexplained scratches and gouges and vehicles that pass through that bridge. Creepy. Yeah. There are also like creepy, like poundings and footsteps and whales that are commonplace. Like that would be really interesting to kind of experience or whatever. I would rather my car be okay though. You know? <laughs> um, but this new England ghost story is probably one of the most famous in the state and the hauntings actually still continue to this day. Hmm. So it didn't say any particular time of year, just random. Yeah, no, it's still, it's still just happening. Neat. Also, I think we're lagging a little bit, so yeah, this will you, probably have to be edited. Yeah, you delayed a long time after I asked that question. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, we're back to lagging. Okay, I'm going to do a little... You guys, we are having technical difficulties. Um, my camera broke, so I'm now trying to use my laptop to do these. And I've set up in several different... You can see right now I'm in the kitchen for those of you watching me. I tried it out on the deck. I've tried it everywhere and we're having issues. So please uh, forgive us. And I'm going to try to edit it so that it doesn't affect your listening uh, pleasure. Well, we'll see. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, so my next one is called uh, Dancing on Grave in Maine. And this one's actually really cool. I thought this one was really interesting. Um. So Colonel Jonathan Buck was one of the founders of Bucksport, Maine, uh, called Buckstown back in the day, apparently. Um, And there are various iterations of this New England ghost story. Uh, But the tale goes, you know, something like this. Um, Buck became convinced that a young woman in the town was a witch. And some accounts say that he that she was his mistress or whatever. So, you know, take that as you will. Good choice. But she was sentenced to her death. So her very last words, the colonel, were a vicious, (laughs) right. So her very last words, the colonel, were a vicious curse. She swore that she would dance on his grave for all eternity. So Buck died in 1795. And in 1852, his children memorialized his life with the monument near the site where he was buried. But that beautiful stone soon had a blemish that no sanding or solvent or anything could remove. And it was a small dainty foot and leg shaped (gasps) stain down its side. Really? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. So, you know, she's dancing on his grave to this day and it's, uh, and it's still there. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, And then I've got spooks in Rhode Island. So this one's called little mercy, Lena Brown. Um, so little Mercy Lena Brown died of tuberculosis centuries ago uh, in Rhode Island, um, Exeter, Exeter, Rhode Island. Yeah. And so tuberculosis swept across New England during the 18th and 19th centuries, um, you know, instilling the deep fear and superstition that comes along with like mass deaths from disease and that kind of thing back in um, back in those days. And it became common belief that the spirits of loved ones lost the illness would return, infecting other poor souls. So to protect against this, Mercy's father exhumed her body and cremated some of her remains before burying her again. Some of her remains? Ever since that day, there have been reports of little Mercy wandering through the village and strange lights in the graveyard and many other odd phenomena, which it doesn't expand on. So I'm kind of curious about that. Um, but giving rise to another classic New England ghost story. So 
there is like a kind of beautiful element to this tale as well, though. So often terminally ill patients will see little mercy. And so she's seen as like the shepherd of the terminally ill and will help them into the afterlife. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got at least a little bit of a lighter side. I just wonder Um, why. And then I have. Why her dad. uh, We're lagging. (laughs) I know. I I can tell. Why did he only burn part of her body and bury the rest? I don't know if it was, you know, like maybe he couldn't get um, a hot enough fire for it to completely burn her body or what. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I feel like that would probably be in the details of like the whole story, which like right. all of these are so interesting, like yeah. very interesting enough that I will probably go and figure out like the entire history of mm-hmm. them. So the next one I have is a curse in Connecticut, the village of Dudley town. And this one like rings a bell and I don't know why I feel like I've heard of this one before, but Dudley town was founded in the mid 18th century by the Dudleys. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, an English family that came to the Americas and built a prosperous community. However, there are stories of like freak accidents and short lives and evil luck in the town. And that promoted like a lot of speculation and, oh, this place is evil and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, where the, Dur- the, the Dudleys, the Dudleys, a cursed family, was it, a, you know, was the town itself cursed? And eventually around the turn of the 20th century, the last dwindling residents gave up and left Dudley town forever. So now it's a ghost town. Uh, there's no one that lives there, right? Like a literal ghost town. And now it's on private property and heavily patrolled so that it like stops people from sneaking in. Uh, and you can only gain access with express permission. But those who have describe like an eerie silence. There's no birds, no squirrels, no animals. Uh, and they have some like odd experiences from, you know, you know, relatively mundane or whatever to outright paranormal like orbs or ghosts or accidents or, you know, like that kind of stuff. Freaky. Right, right. Oh, this one's a good one. Okay, so here's, I think this is, yeah, this is the last one. So this one is new in New Hampshire, and it's called Faces in the Windows. And it just sounds, yeah, yeah, that face right there, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So it's actually not a super famous one, according to this article. Um, But it's, it's, Definitely creepy. And as I was reading this, I was like, yeah, like it should have either started with this one or it's just a really great one to end on. Um, so it tells of an Appalachian Mountain Club crew member who headed up to the uh, up the slopes of Mount Washington in the spring to prepare one of his mountain huts for hikers and backpackers. Uh, with directions to radio his friends when he made it safely to the hut, the man headed up the mountain, but he never radioed back to camp. So when his friends still hadn't heard anything by the next morning, they headed up the slope themselves to go and check on him. Uh, When they reached the cabin, they found all of the windows still boarded up. And after minutes of searching and calling his name, they found their friend cowering in a cabinet under the sink. And he had an axe clutched in his fists. Oh, my God. So it was only (laughs) later as he recovered in the hospital that the man revealed his terrifying story. As he relaxed in the cabin, he felt a presence in the room and turned to see a distorted face staring at him between the glass and the boards covering the window. The face was repeated in every single window and seemed to push through the glass into the room. So the rest of the night, including of how and when he climbed into the cabinet under the sink, was erased from his memory. And he doesn't remember how he got there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Creepy. Right. Right. So really interesting stuff. I loved all of those stories. I think a lot of them would be really fun to go and read the full history on everything. I agree. 
Um, but I just wanted to give you guys like a, a little anthology of ghost stories in New England. That was a fun one. Yeah. Okay. So mine are is about boo hags. Yes. And I'm very curious about what that means. So have you ever awakened in the morning absolutely exhausted, even though you slept all night long? Absolutely. You may have been visited by a boo hag. Oh, wonderful. A boo hag is a creature in the folklore of the Gula culture. It is locally unique um, to the Gula, um, but it is an addition to the hag folklore that you have all around the world. Right. And the Gula culture are African-Americans who live in the low country regions of the United States of Georgia, Florida, and South Carolina. Oh, okay. In both the coastal plain and the sea islands. They developed a Creole language, which is, I, last time I did a Creole from, you know, Creole story from Louisiana. Right. Um, and the language was also called Gula. And the culture had a lot of African influence to it. Africans with various backgrounds were imprisoned together in large numbers during the slave trade, and they formed this cohesive culture, the Gula culture. And today, they're still Gula, and they are the descendants of the African slaves brought to the Carolinas in the late 1500s. Almost a half a million Gulas live on the eastern coast from Florida to North Carolina, and a lot of them are in the low country region of South Carolina, particularly the Sea Islands. So the Gula people and their language are also called Geechee, which may have been derived from the name of the Ogeechee River near Savannah. Oh, nice. Okay. Now, one of the beliefs of the Gula people is that people have both a soul and a spirit. They believe that the souls leave the human bodies upon death. And if it's a good soul, it's going to go to heaven. And if it's a bad soul, it's going to go to hell. Okay. The spirit of a person has a different function. A good spirit stays behind to watch over the deceased's family, guiding and protecting them if needed. But a bad spirit, if you were evil in life, you become a boo hag. (laughs) A boo hag uses witchcraft to manipulate people and steal energy from the living while they sleep. Gulas sometimes bid each other good night saying, don't let the hag ride you. Oh, okay. According to legend, boo hags are similar to vampires. Like vampires, they are undead and they feed off living humans, but they don't drink blood. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They eat energy. Energy. Yeah. They are skinless and bright red in color with bulging blue veins and glowing eyes. They hide from sight during the day or worse, they walk around in the skin of a victim. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sometimes it is depicted with uh, flowing white hair that, you know, that white hair after a body dies and the hair continues to grow after death and the fingernails continue to grow. Yeah. The uh, boo hags have been described as having that look to them. Okay. And so a lot of the older generations believe that they're vampires coming back to feed um, off the living. To survive in the world of the living, they wear a living person's skin. Sure. Sounds great. Wear it like clothes so that they can move amongst the living without suspicion. At night, though, they shed the skin and they go looking for a victim to, quote, ride. (laughs) Boo hags are very crafty. They can get into your house through very small openings. 
a slightly opened window, or even a crack in the wall. Once inside, they'll sit on a sleeping victim's chest and steal their breath away, or more specifically, their energy, thus riding the victim all night long. I don't enjoy that. That's not great. No. They have to sneak away before dawn to return to their skin. If they can't get back to their skin before the sun comes up, it will be destroyed. The, the buhag can't survive without a skin in the sunlight. They use evil uh, magic and witchcraft to cause havoc on innocent people and will paralyze you in your sleep like the infamous painting of the demon that sits on your chest in the middle of the night, feeding on your life force and subjecting you to nightmares. Now, We've seen charmed episodes and that kind of thing with the creature that sits on the chest and sucks the breath out of you. Yep. I, I think that those are all hags from the hag culture. Boo hags are specifically from the gula culture, but the same, gotcha. same thing. The same idea. Yes. That's adorable. So yeah, real, <laughs> real fun. So there are some warning signs that let you know if a boo hag is close. First, the air will become very hot and damp. Second, the air will smell like something is rotting, which, you Gross. know, like on Supernatural, you know, you always have the smells. That, like the sulfur smell of yeah. a demon or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So if you've woken up exhausted after a full night's rest, you might have been visited by a boo hag. Boo hags are not without their weaknesses, though. Okay. Like any other spirit in Gula culture, they are repelled by indigo, also called haint blue. The color. They're repelled by a color. The color. Oh, okay. If you go outside and you paint the tops of your window frames indigo blue, the boo hags won't be able to get in through those windows. This is the absolute best deterrent for this creature and any other angry spirits. You'll need a unique hue of the indigo blue paint called haint blue. Haint blue. Um, And so actually, if you go to the low country of South Carolina, you will see a lot of houses with the underside of the porches painted in blue. And and that tradition continues today. And I don't know that they realized that that was the reason it started was to keep the boo hags out. That's so interesting. And gula, the word haint, means spirit and usually refers to the more malevolent poltergeist that we see in the movies, you know, right, the, right. The, the bad spirits. Yeah. Um, indigo is actually a crop that was grown by the slaves back in the day. And it is so labor intensive. And the beautiful color that came out of it, that indigo color was considered, quote, blue gold because it brought so much money to the landowners that were growing that crop. Cool. Okay. A Southern belle named Eliza Lucas in the 1730s planted the first indigo plants in one of her father's three plantations in Charleston. While indigo was grown in both Jamestown, Virginia, and New Amsterdam, which is currently New York City, it did not grow well there. The Charleston plants were very successful in the low country and became the biggest Um, exported item from the new world in a very few short years. Because the dye is so labor intensive, the farmers needed experienced workers and they brought in even more slaves to grow this, this blue indigo. Right. Um, So that spurned the kidnapping and enslavement of hundreds of thousands of people from Western and Central Africa. Right. Blue is a sacred color to the Gula Geechee, and it was 
most helpful in warding off evil spirits. Blue bottles, the glass dyed with indigo, would be placed um, on the ends of tree branches or sticks to create bottle trees. What might seem like a cute garden decoration to anybody else walking by was actually a deterrent for spirits. Neat. The spirits slip into the bottles, but then they can't escape because the color, they can't tell what's the top because it's the same color as the sky. So they're, nice. they're stuck in these, in these bottles. So ringing or whistling from one of these bottles means that a, go- a ghost is caught inside. Adorable. Wonderful. The color um, causes confusion as the ghost thinks that they might have stumbled into a body of water, which they can't cross. Right. Or stepped out into the open sky, which would sweep them away and away from their skin so that they would be burned in the sun. Hmm. So it was a cheap and relatively easy way to keep the spirits that were out for blood, bodies, and death. Fair. Um, yeah. It's an actual color. Hank blue is an actual color that you can find at your local hardware store. Probably you can find it at Home Depot. Neat. And it's common to see uh, this color painted on the porches, like I said, and new construction without anyone even knowing the story behind that hue. Interesting. Um, you know, a lot of decorators will say, oh, blue is such a calming color. It makes the space feel clean and airy. Well, there's right. a reason for that. It's keeping those evil spirits away. Neat. All right. All right. Um, salt, too, is a good boo hag repellent. Well, we know we know salt repels like demons and like all that kind of stuff. So that yeah, makes sense. It does make sense. A salted hag, if you throw salt on the hag, they won't be able to go back into their skin because it dries out the skin. That sounds hideous. I'm just gonna, you know, I don't I don't know that I would want to toss salt on something and like have it expel its skin. <laughs> I know. If you think, oh, this might be a boo hag, and you start throwing and salt on people. <laughs> you know, I just nah, nah. That's okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think we would all be arrested, I think, if we were going around throwing salt on people. Probably. The easiest way to avoid a visit from a boo hag is to keep a straw broom or brush with many bristles close by. Boo hags are apparently curious and compulsive creatures. This is the same line of thought that about my, my story last month with the Rougarou. Yeah. And they would count. They get stuck counting. and so Oh, they, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Same idea with this creature, which is interesting because this is also a Creole creature. Oh. The Rougarous are Creole as well. And so the same thing, they get stuck counting and they can't get back to their skin before the sun comes up and they burn, burn up and die. Yeah. So strainers, just like the Rougarous, strainers work as well because they try to count all the holes in the strainers. Right. If you wake up and discover a boo hag on your chest, it is best not to fight it. But I don't want it there. If you fight it, a boo hag might steal your skin. Well, I would like to keep my skin. (laughs) (laughs) So have you been exhausted lately? Tonight, when you go to bed, make sure to hang a strainer on your bedroom doorknob, leave a straw broom in the corner of your room, and maybe you should put a salt shaker on your nightstand. Bed, not bedside table, just in case. Listen, I think doing these monthly uh, myths and monsters is great. I think I'm going to end up as a hoarder because I need all these things to keep keep myself from losing my skin. <laughs> and I came up with two actual uh, stories. Oh, I mean, this is tied to the sleep paralysis, right? They they sit on your chest. They they 
breathe. Like, they take your energy. Yes. Not always. But anyway, that's a different, that's a different story. Maybe one of us can cover that anyway, but yes. So this person said they were 19 when they first experienced sleep paralysis and it um, took the form of a man lying on top of them, which since boo hags are just the spirits of people, of course, they're men and women. Right. And it was so heavy. It was hard. This is from his, this person's point, this they're talking in the first person. Right. Um, It was so heavy. It was hard for me to breathe. I had been dreaming and became aware of a man approaching me to my left. He was trying to get my attention from the corner of my eyes. You know how things are in dreams where you can tell without looking at them directly. I could make out that he was a bit shorter than me and unshaven with lank blonde hair that fell to his shoulders. When I ignored him, he came and stood very close by. But when I turned and looked at him, the minute I saw him, I woke up. And by which I mean, I seemed to wake up, but he was still there. He was heavy. I tried to shift my arms, but they were pinned to my sides and I could smell him, which was the worst of it. A bitter combination of feeling a rough jaw against the skin of my neck and the terror of being unable to breathe. I choked. He smelled like sweat and something else, something ugly. Over his shoulder, I could see the objects of the furniture in my room, all regular and known and ordinary. I think I knew I was dreaming because I remember something turning in my mind, like something was trying to rouse me. Something was forcing me upwards into consciousness like a swimmer through currents. Wrenched into wakefulness, the man vanished, the pressure pressure left my chest, and my room was the same as it always had been. I was shaking and terrified and confused. I've read about sleep paralysis, and thank God we don't believe in demons, but trying to move and finding myself unable to had left me feeling exhausted and also intensely vulnerable. It took me a long time to get to sleep that night. Wow. <laughs> and I've got another story, but I don't know with my coughing, if that's a good idea, I'll, I'll try because it's kind of cool. Yeah. For nights at 3 a.m., this guy's wife had been having sleep paralysis. They had gone to the doctor and that's what the doctor said it was, that it was just some form of sleep paralysis. And right, um, right. so this went on for time, time and time for some time. And it became clear that something more was going on. The dog had been getting him up every night around three o'clock AM to go outside. It's always 3 AM. I know. It's always 3 AM. Yeah. Which is the witching hour, I believe. Yeah. But like, is it, but is it like the witching, like, does it, does the witch, you know, does it move time zones? You know what I'm saying? Cause it's like 3 a.m. here is not 3 a.m. You know, over in California. Maybe it has something to do with the moon and the time in that time zone. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. So it was a little after 3 a.m. on this night. And this is now in first person. And I was awoken by, uh, by our little dog, the one that slept on the bed with us. She had literally jumped on my chest and was trying to get my attention. It worked. And when she realized my eyes were open, she turned to face my wife's side of the bed and started growling. Her eyes were not on my wife. They were above her. I turned to see my wife obviously struggling. She looked like she was being held down and her breath was shallow, like she couldn't get a full breath. I didn't know what to do. So I sat up and shouted at my wife to wake up, just wake up. And then I shouted at whoever was in the room to just stop, leave her alone, go back to hell. My wife woke up and set up coughing with big streams of tears running down her face. It's trying to kill me, she said. 
I didn't know what to do. So I took her downstairs and we both slept in the spare bedroom that night. The next day, we both called in sick to work. And for the longest time, we just sat there in the kitchen without speaking. Did it really happen? We ate and went and both of us, oh, they had put in a camera. I forgot to say they, because he thought there was something else going on. He had put up a camera. And so they went and looked at the footage from the camera and what they saw terrified them. We fast forwarded to the first moment that was detect movement that was detected by the camera. It was me sitting up to take the dog out. When I left the room, the door slowly closed behind me. I did not close the door. Next, my wife starts to shake and move violently, obviously in distress. We could hear her making the weak cries. (coughs) I think I skipped something um, that I had heard from the hall. Just then, part of the screen was blacked out like someone was standing in front of the camera blocking part of the camera's shot. Cute. Then the image cleared and she and you could just make out the slightest impression on the bed like someone or something small had sat down on it. No, thanks. You could see the comforter and sheets move and shake and then it appeared to be on my wife. She was really struggling in the footage now. Our little dog was at the corner of the bed growling in the direction of my wife. Um, but was just as terrified as we were. I thought he, I thought he took the dog out. Yeah. Because in his, anyway, this doesn't really follow. Yeah. Okay. Um, When I rushed through the door, there was a a fast distortion on the recording, like something moving off the bed and out of the camera's view. I turned the volume up on the laptop as high as I could at this point, listening for the voice we had both heard. It was just static throughout most of it. But right before I pushed open the door, There was a distinct female voice that could be heard on the recording, but with my limited technology, I couldn't make out what was being said. Once again, we slept downstairs for the rest of the night. We didn't stay in that house much longer after that. He gave his that footage to a friend of his that was kind of a techno wizard to see if he could figure out what was being said. Right. And about a week after they moved, the friend reached out to him and asked him if he had um, was if he was messing with him. And he's like, no, why? Because the sound that you could hear on the voice was a female voice that said, breathe, die. Well, I, okay. Well, first of all, those are opposites, I feel like, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's a boo hag and they're trying to eat the breath, then. Oh, well, okay. Fair enough. Fair Breathe fair. it out, give it to me and die. Mm. So I, mm. I feel like I messed up that story with the coughing that I got going on, but um, found it fascinating. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Fascinating is one word for it. I feel like uh, (laughs) terrifying might be another, but that's just me. That's just me. Yeah. Cool though. Like very interesting. And I didn't know that about the color blue, like on uh, porches and stuff. I guess while we're podcasting, we're safe because we've got blue on our headphones. We do. We do. So you know what? We're safe from boo hags. Woohoo! At least while we're talking, which At we least. do a lot. So <laughs> we do. Well, thank you all for listening. We will do another Myth and Monsters at the end of June. Yeah. Yeah. See you guys at the end of June. Well, see you guys tomorrow, I guess. But yeah, for, for our regular episodes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, <All> guys. Right. <laughs> Bye.